Hello, everybody. Welcome to welcome to the Universal Dialect Show. Uh, this is my show number nine. Uh, my goal was to start with one show, then try to make it to ten. I'm at nine, and on show number nine, I have a great guest. Uh, I've heard him on a couple of podcasts, and everything that he says really blew my mind. It's very interesting. Uh, let me give you a little dossier on the homeboy. Um, he's a paranormal explorer, meaning he's not an armchair, uh, you know, expert like some people do. He actually goes out and he does the exploration. He does, you know, the research. Uh, he's also a, a psychonaut. And what that means, he dabbles in psychedelics. Uh, he's also a conspiracy theorist. Um, a day before Halloween on 2020, he uh, authored a book called Paranormal Expedition, The Hunt for the Friendship. All right. I want to welcome... Chaz of the Dead. How you doing, my brother? Hell yeah. I'm glad to be here. That was a stellar intro. Uh, 10 out of 10. <laughs> I <love laughs> Dude, it, I try man. my best. I'm trying to get better with each with each show. But um, but you know, like I said, I started <laughs> with one and now I'm at nine. And and so far I've been having awesome guests. You're gonna be another one of my awesome guests, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Okay. So um let's jump into this, uh Chaz. Um, like I said, I've heard you on on multiple uh, podcasts and you, 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 you're talking about some of the most incredible things and some of them are, con are, could be considered controversial, but sometimes we need that kick in the ass, you know, like oh, I yeah. think society nowadays needs that. So give me the origin story of Chaz of the dead. First off, like the name is awesome. Where did the name come from? And then go into well, your origin story. Like, um, you're up, like where you grew up at, because I think a lot of that factors into like the path that a person goes down mm -hmm. and then what led you down this path. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, first of all, the name is honestly not that creative. I just ripped it off of Shaun of the dead. I'm a big fan. And, you know, I was trying to bring uh, a little, little sense of levity and humor to the paranormal subject. Cause a lot of people take it, a little too seriously. I mean, it's it's certainly the phenomenon's here, and it's something we need to to address. But you know, you got your demon hunters battling for for Christ. You've got you know your UFO experts who are you know worried about national defense, and there there's most of the phenomenon hangs out in this middle ground, which is you know high strangeness, super weird shit, and a lot of the times pretty comical shit and so that was kind of the the area and the stuff i was into researching so that was the genesis of of the name um but my personal journey in the paranormal started um i think with like a lot of people started with a childhood experience um one night i was sleeping on uh, this bottom bunk they had just built these bunk beds my parents um in florida i'm from florida originally um they built these bunk beds and my brother moved from this bottom bed up to the top one and i i moved into the hand-me-down and one night i fell out of bed and woke up and saw this pair of red eyes underneath the bed staring back at me classic kind of almond pointed almost flaming at the edges this kind of glowing pair of red eyes kind of like a halloween graphic you might like stick on a window Damn. you know um and i was eight or nine so you know i hopped back in bed blanket over the head and I'm safe. <laughs> right. You think, kid logic, you think. <laughs> right. Kid logic. You're like, okay, you know, nothing can get through this blanket. Um, so <laughs> I waited out till the morning and in the morning I get up and, you know, I'm young, but I'm rational. So I start cleaning out underneath the bed. You know, I got the daylight, not scared. I'm looking for anything electronic, even like a little power light, you know, anything red that could have created that 
you know, that image. And my brother's coming down the ladder and he looks, sees what I'm doing. And without me saying or prompting, he says, did you see the red eyes too? Because he had had that experience a few weeks prior. Um, and it's not like we lived in a haunted house. That was kind of like the one-off. It's not like those red eyes terrorized us through the rest of our, no, just happened once. Um, but, you know, even a simple, like the, the logical explanation is it's some kind of shared dream. But that's not logical. You know, that's not a, there's nothing in our science can explain how that happened. Even if it was us simply sharing this, this weird archetypal dream, that's still paranormal. And so for me, that was kind of the, the moment where I was like, oh, shit, there's something, you know, there's something to these stories and these legends. And, you know, it's not all just make-believe. Something's going on beyond what we can um, sense, beyond what we, we understand in our, our normal reality. Right. So um, wh what part of Florida was this? So uh, South Florida, uh, Sarasota, uh, okay. Gulf Coast. Uh, okay, so yeah. is, is it anywhere near like Gulf Breeze? Not too much. There, there is um, inland. There's a famous legend of the Mayaka monster. We got a skunk ape um, legend. There's some really weird photos of uh, right. a primate out there. Um, right. Some scientists say the the photos are legit. Some say it's an orangutan that must have escaped. You know, there's some debate. They're pretty weird looking photos. Um, <clears throat> There's there's some other high strangeness, you know, Florida up and down. We we get the black triangle UFO sightings and um, I've seen those a little. Yeah. A little later on, I had a sighting um, that was actually in uh, correlation, not correlation. It was a few days after. Um, well, let me let me set the scene. Yeah. yeah uh, so I was doing this is kind of how. Well, so I had my red eyes experience. And from there, you know, being a kid. I kind of started down like that classic ghost adventures style paranormal <laughs> research, right? Which, you know, even as a child, very quickly I found to be um, unsatisfactory. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what the fuck are we doing here? We're talking <laughs> to voice recorders in the middle of the night, taking pictures of dust and bugs and calling it ghosts. You know, even as a preteen, I was starting to wane off that stuff. Um, but as I, I grew older um, and began to experiment, as many a Florida teenager does with psychedelics and things like that, I very quickly realized, hey, this isn't for like partying and music festivals. I mean, it is. If that's your thing. I, I can see that. But there's something else going on here. Like this is this is a tool and it's a tool that should be applied to this paranormal field. I mean, we have centuries of shamanism and, you know, these these traditions that we've essentially lost. We've genocided out of our our cultures, but they are they were there and the stories and anecdotes remain and by all reports this the the practice around these substances you know we call it religious but it seemed in many locations to be scientific they would take these for specific reasons and they would acquire specific results and you even have these stories coming from the european explorers of shamans and witch doctors who are able to control animals control weather um, they enter the all these altered states and interact with the spirits of the ancestors and physical 
shit happens <laughs> as a result. And so, you know, I kind of got this idea and it's, I say I, it's like I'm exclusive. It's really kind of an idea that's taken off in a couple different areas in the, the field. There's actually a really good documentary out, um, coming out, I should say, the skunk ape experiments about that Mayaka monster where the team um, RPG uh, from Expedition Bigfoot and Stacy Brown. Brown. Yeah, yeah. Their, their project. He, he's um, on my radar right now, Stacy Brown. Yeah, I, I, so, I've spoken to him and um, he, I think he's busy because he just released the documentary, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm waiting for him because I would love to talk to him. But oh, speaking yeah. of the, the Mayaka ape, uh, I spoke uh, I, and I'll send you a link to it. I spoke with a, a, a I guess a, what, a researcher out here in Florida. David mm -hmm. Sidoti, do you know who that is? Because I know that he's... The name rings a bell, yeah. Okay, so I'll send you a link to his because he he sent the team out to do investigations on that Mayaka 8, and he came mm -hmm. up with something different. But I'll send that to you. But go ahead. I, I apologize. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, no worries. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just going to say that documentary. Go check it out. They're doing some crazy psychedelic experiments, trying out new tech. Stuff that really, you know, parallels with my research. We kind of bumped into each other at one of these conferences, and they're like, oh, you know, what are you working on? What are you working on? <laughs> Well, like fuck it's very shit so let's work together and so a, a lot of these concepts and ideas that are popping up all across the field whether it's bigfoot ufos um ufos that's been around the longest you have jacques valet and you know these european investigators who have long before you know it's been popular here in the u.s they've been on this idea that it's something to do with consciousness and something to do with um, you know, how our, our minds interact with reality. Um, and so to test that out, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to brew a couple different mushrooms teas. I got some recipes. I got, uh, I picked up some stuff and I was going to, I did uh, Ouija board seances uh, every weekend for like a couple months, um, trying to manifest stuff while on psychedelics. Um, and I learned some valuable things um one space out your trips longer than that <laughs> very unhealthy in the short term um but two um the phenomenon did respond and it wasn't that my ouija board went crazy and spelled out insane messages the seances themselves were actually very unproductive nothing really occurred no evps were captured um, there was one cool moment where a water droplet hit me right in the center of my forehead. And, you know, if you're tripping balls, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that <did> you. <laughs> um, but other than that, that was pretty insignificant. Chaz, but the, hold up. Yeah. Was there a source of that water or was that? It was from a tree there. I was sitting okay, in a, okay. a, a swampy area. Yeah. There was water all over the place. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't uh, know if you were sitting in your house and it just came from nowhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. Poltergeist water. That'd be a whole different thing. I'd have it in a little vial be showing you. <laughs> um, but no, during these seances, really nothing happened, but the days and weeks in between, I started to see UFOs. Um, and you know, most of them, they were single off sightings. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, did anyone, I would like try to like grab someone, like come outside and see this. And that didn't happen. But one instance, I was sitting with a friend, we were sharing a smoke out back, um, same area where I was doing these seances. Um, but again, middle of the week, what none of us were on active psychedelics. 
um, we're sitting there and I'm telling him about these experiments and he's going like, okay, yeah, dude, sure. Ouija boards, mushrooms, <laughs> like, all right, you, you lost the plot, Chaz, but that's okay, you know, kind of as you would. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. It does seem pretty crazy. Um, and then almost ironically, we start to hear this mechanical hum. Um, and just above the tree line, this black triangle, one of these classic UFO shapes, a light in each corner. Um, it's, it kind of hovers over there and it's low. I could have like hit it with a rock. It was low to the, to the ground, right above the trees. And it kind of just cruised right over us and continued. Um, and it's a weird sighting. Most of the triangle sightings, they're entirely silent, but we, we heard it before we saw it. And, and again, it's oftentimes these triangle crafts there there's blueprints out there you know there's all kinds of these are oh they're military craft the tr3b um, they call them right exactly but again it felt intentional it felt super synchronistic right i'm having this conversation and i have a friend here actively disbelieving it and boom a fucking ufo shows up the best sighting i've ever had of a ufo and, and to the to this date that friend of mine He's never seen anything like it before or since. He's right. like, fuck, yeah, man, that was a UFO. <laughs> like, there's no <laughs> other way to describe it. It's one of the ones you, you see um, in the, the literature. And so, again, that's kind of where I'm at with the phenomenon. I, I do think there's a lot of research, and I've got a whole crazy side theory on the idea that humans are behind the UFO phenomenon. But from the on the ground research and all the weird shit Ouija board psychedelic experiments and shit right. like that it does seem to appear that there's a there's a, a higher connection in order when it comes to these phenomenon there's something in our our biology and our consciousness that is involved with with these uh manifestations it's not just simply aliens from a different planet or like secret you know u.s spaceships there's those might be at play those might be factors in what's occurring but right. overall the phenomenon is it's it's a little more trickier than that there's there's something going on with with reality itself and how we as as sentient beings interact with it all right so let me let's get into psychedelics uh chaz because uh let's let do it you honest. got some let's no, that, well, that's, over here, that's, man. The, that's the thing dude um i really want to get into it i just don't know where to start um and i'm not a person like i know that the the i guess the strongest one you can do is ayahuasca if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. and which and, is the the active ingredient and in that is dmt you can also smoke a, a synthetic form um they right. do a lot of laboratory experiments and shit with that mm -hmm. right so i mean and, and i know like i've heard you know different accounts and people say to start off like easy and work your way up but i'm not that type of guy i'll go straight for the hard shit <laughs> dive on in <laughs> you know I'm, yeah because i mean i feel like that's the best thing to do is to dive on in plus i heard you get better results from like ayahuasca this is again i'm not an expert in this you would know mm. more than me ayahuasca is probably the best bet to get the best results uh compared to like other psychedelics because i feel like uh personally I'm trying to look for something. I've been trying mm. to look for something my whole life. I just don't know what it is. Tried mm. a bunch of different things. And I feel like psychedelics might reveal what I need to know. You yeah. know what I mean? 
Yeah. So there's a lot of, you know, schools of thought about that. Um, you know, obviously the more traditional understood methods are considered better. Um, but again, with modern ayahuasca stuff, there's a lot of like huckster shamans and shit out there. So it's really, it, it's hard to say definitively, you know, what the best way to do it is because all the ways we have to do it are, you know, really straddling that line of legality, right? Um, you know, conducting my experiments is always difficult. You know, it's, it's always misses this scientific mark I wish I could hit with, you know, like exact dosage and exact strains. And I know exact, I, I have what is available essentially. Um, and so it's the, not an exact science. Right. It, it's certainly not an exact science. I wish it was. I think we could, you know, legalize these substances and, um, you know, really start to, to understand and measure these these effects. But as it is now, we're pretty much shooting in the dark, hoping to hit something. Um, and you do have these traditional methods that kind of provide frameworks. They probably provide a little bit of a flashlight in that dark to to figure out things. Um, and ayahuasca does seem to be one of those. Um, in particular, though, it does seem to be an inward exploration. There's a lot of outward bizarre manifestations, but it oftentimes is, you know, used as a medicine to reveal to you, you know, what's holding you back. Um, I know when I get down there, the ayahuasca serpent demon lady, she's going to be like, you're smoking too much weed, dude. Uh, I think it was Timothy Leary who did it. And that was, uh, it was one of the famous psychonauts. That was their ayahuasca experience where like the, the entity was like, man, you're getting stoned all the time. It's not good for you. You gotta, you know, get your shit together. Um, so, so Chaz, is that, is that you talking to yourself or, or is that something outside you talking to you? Now that's the eternal question, my friend. <laughs> if, if I had the answer to that, I, I, I could quit my job because who knows? It really, right. and again, it comes down not only to the psychedelic experience, but the paranormal experience as right. well. Uh, most instances, it's an individual, if you see something weird and, you know, fuck, is it inside your head was it a hallucination or was it real and again that's the same situation that occurs under psychedelics now the vast reports from especially dmt experience and things like this um, heavy doses of mushrooms and even lsd several variants is that the entities the things the visions interacted with do seem to display their own intelligence but again, we have dreams every night where we meet characters and things that have their own intelligence. It's not something there's no just because it feels like it's not coming from you doesn't. That's not a again, not a scientific way to measure that. Um, now, we do have instances um, of what we would call mediumship, where that information does come through and can be validated in a way where, you know, the medium doesn't know something and you know we can confirm that whatever they pulled out of the ether is true and that happens again in psychedelics a lot of shamans use um, psychedelics even back in ancient times the oracle at delphi very famous greek story of a psychic nailing it i think the king was doing like surgery on a fish 
And she was like, that's what he's doing. And all the other psychics they asked fucking missed that. Um, but those oracles at Delphi were huffing volcanic fumes. They had these big fissures inside their temple and they just get high as hell. And apparently they displayed this future predictive ability. Um, again, hard to say. It could merely just be coincidence. Um, even in that experiment, the one the reason we remember Delphi is because she got it right. Everyone else got it wrong. Right. So there were in that experiment, a hundred or whatever other temples psychics got the, the guess wrong. So it's hard to say. It, it happens in modern times too. Every time a mysterious murder happens, a bunch of psychics call in and say, I know where the body is. And every once in a while, very scantily. But every once in a while, they nail it. There's been instances um, recorded. Even there was a, a sheriff who claimed that a lot of the cases he solved were from these weird dreams and psychic intuition. So again, there's little pieces of evidence, but there's nothing super solid that you can say, yes, that's what it is. And that's, I think, the main problem with most of the paranormal fields is pretty much every investigator you meet has a top-down explanation. They're investigating from this angle. Oh, it's ghosts, demons, or angels. <laughs> That's what it is. Or it's UFOs from a different planet, or it's Bigfoot, and he's an ancient, hairy, humanoid, right. missing link. So, so they, uh, they go in with preconceived notions, and then that kind of blurs... Right. And the they line. find examples that match and, and they kind of um, Robert Anton Wilson called it the reality tunnel. And they kind of it, accept information that fits in that tunnel and they reject everything else. And the truth is, is when you look at overall paranormal phenomenon, there are similarities and there are traits and they shatter all of those expl explanations. There's not right. a single one that really is a unifying paranormal theory. There's a lot of attempts out there. Um, mm -hmm. And there's more and more attempts nowadays, which is a good thing. I write about one of these in my newest upcoming book, um, A Place Between Time and Space. Uh, it's good. about a, a <laughs> case here in Florida, the Betts case. Um, and the this idea that... Uh, one of the theories I investigate is this guy from a traditional ghost hunting kind of perspective, but now he's convinced that the ghosts are actually invisible UFO um, scouts, like sentinels or whatever. And they're like in this invisible thing and they cause haunting activity. And I get into it in the book. Obviously there's some <laughs> great story, great idea. Like it would be a cool ass movie. Um, but obviously there's some issues with that logically just flat out, you know, from the quantum state, there's, there's some issues with it. Right. But it shows a step forward. It shows that they're recognizing that, Hey, these things are connected. They're still trying to do the top down explanation thing that doesn't really work, but it's a wider tunnel than it was before. Now they're accepting UFO cases, light sphere cases, and ghost cases, where before they were looking at a very slim section of phenomenon, which is typically just doors that shut on their own. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Which is spooky. Like, right. yeah, haunting stuff spooky, but it is not the the strongest manifestation of this phenomenon that we we experience. 
And, you know, the fact that they're able to look at these bigger pictures and start drawing these connections gives me hope that we're heading towards a, a, a larger understanding of the, the overall phenomenon. Have you seen the documentary, Sir No Face? And then there was a second documentary, I think it was called Two Face the Gray. I don't think so. No. Okay, so when you get a chance, uh, and if you don't, I'll send you a link. Um, Please do. Because the, the first documentary, okay, so let me let me break the story down as quickly as I can. I, but it's very similar to what you're talking about when it, when you're dealing with like paranormal, which to me, paranormal, people tend to think ghosts and spirits and demons and angels, but mm -hmm. they don't realize paranormal is an umbrella for cryptozoology, yeah. ufology, NDE, and all these other things. But anyway, there was this guy, uh, he had a crew that would investigate ghosts. And apparently he got sent to, I think it was somewhere in South America, if I'm, I could be wrong, with his crew. Ooh. The <laughs> government had uh, wanted to pay him to do uh, ex uh, exploration out in this uh, abandoned prison out there. And he didn't know why, but he wound up doing investigations and he caught this image of what he, everybody thought was like this ghost. And he did a documentary on it. So this documentary is about this quote unquote spirit or ghost that they caught and the things that they dealt with they had different you know evps and and things that were going on there but year a year or so later he got contacted by a fan that said if you really look at that picture that you that you put up of, of the supposed ghost it looks like an alien gray so now yeah. he winds up looking at this picture and he shows the people in his group and they're like wow yeah it really does and now his mm -hmm. investigation turns into something else where it's possible that it had something to do with this alien uh, intervention that went on instead of it being like ghosts. Wow. So hmm. I'll send you the, the link to, to. Yeah, I'd love to check that out. It might be on Tubi or something like that. I could, could be wrong, but it's very similar to what you're saying. But anyway, Jazz, back to like the psychedelic part, because I, I, uh, like I said, I'm really interested in, in, in delving into that world. Mm. Um, you hear about all these bad experiences, like not all bad experiences. You hear about good experiences and you hear about bad experiences. Do I, would I need to be like in a safe, like environment, like in a safe room to do it or? Yeah. Like, for your, be, or... your first one. Well, I wouldn't suggest a room. You don't want to feel claustrophobic. Right. Um, a, a, an initial experience definitely should be in a safe place and with a safe and sober sitter. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, at home, uh, I recommend going for a walk at some point. Uh, I prefer to trip at night. So you right. interact with less people. But again, different substances have different reactions and for different people. Um, I found that on a mescaline, I'm like totally good to like go to a museum in the middle of the day and like hang out, like, like all the visual effects and stuff. But for whatever reason, the typical anxiety of like, oh shit, I'm tripping is not. <laughs> It's not there. Right. Mushrooms? No, I'm definitely staying at home. I'm going to do that at night so I can like walk around and, you know, look at the stars and shit like that. Um, maybe while I'm camping at a familiar campsite or something like that. Um, and again, definitely for initial times, have someone sitting, you know, watching right. you, um, you know, have some comfortable TV or something on deck. In case right, right. You start getting uncomfortable. Cartoons are great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and again, it's like something 
I would say um, it's something I always do before I do a, a psychedelic experience is I meditate for a while, um, 30 minutes to an hour. I just, you know, sit and clear my thoughts and having a, a steady practice of meditation will make you much more prepared for uh, a psychedelic situation. Um, whether that is, uh, taking psychedelics or running into something paranormal, because again, the, the similarities between the experiences are astronomical. Uh, so having a, a routine and, you know, just being mindful and thoughtful and then turning off those thoughts, <laughs> it, yeah, learning that, that switch. Yeah. Will that'll be hard for me. <laughs> my brain's yeah. always, my brain's always thinking, thinking, thinking. And, um, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, not that everybody grew up a great life, but my life w w wasn't the greatest life growing up. So I still have issues with that, like, you know, mm. the abuse from the from the past. So I don't know how that would factor in what, what, what that would create or cause. But um, what have you experienced other than the UFO stuff? But like because people talk about like the, the clowns that mock you and mm. you said the serpent lady. Then there's the frog that I know some people. Have. What, what have you encountered under psychedelics so i i've never taken quite such a heavy dose where i'm like blasted off into the other realms um i've had some some weird experiences i've had the uh, alice in wonderland effect where it feels like you're shrinking down really really tiny and your perspective shrinks down and yeah i, I remember laying on the floor and feeling like i was getting real real small and everything else was getting really big around me um, again, something that happens in a lot of paranormal experiences. Um, I've also had that missing time where I was looking at something, thought I was looking at it for like two, three minutes and three hours had passed. And I'm like, what wow. the fuck? Like my trip's half over and I've been staring at a wall. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Um, and again, these are things that are reported, um, by psychonauts all across the globe right. you know these common experiences and again common experiences in paranormal phenomena and ufo encounters and um spooky places people tend to lose time you know they thought they were doing something playing the ouija board for 20 minutes but it was actually two hours um those weird time dilations um and again, it, it shows that our reality is a lot more malleable than we, we give credit for. And that's what the, the root level psychedelic experience is kind of about. The blasting off experience, it's one I'm still working up to. Um, I still, you know, am, well, currently I'm still using substances in this experimental way. Right. Um, on haunted locations in weird places and stuff. And so being blasted off to the max isn't really compatible, <laughs> you know, right, I I understand. to maintain. Uh, and actually through my research and my personal experience is uh, it seems to be the um, being actively tripping doesn't tend to manifest a lot of the physical phenomenon. You might have a lot of visual phenomenon, but having like you're, you're having, you know, Bigfoot leave a footprint or throw a rock or something, right. it doesn't seem to be a massive factor in that. But the time 
period afterwards. And again, when I saw those UFOs, it was never during the experience where a UFO like hovered above me or anything like that. It was always these times after where these substances are still in your system, but at smaller amounts, you know, the micro dosing. Um, a lot of people are using that for these experiments. And again, for that same reason where it's really hard to be tripping hard <laughs> in an uncomfortable place. I've had some practice and it's still hard. <laughs> you right. know, it, it takes um, preparation and some some mental endurance. Um, but it also, again, those microdoses seem to be a more productive avenue when it comes to paranormal investigation. Now, when it comes to working on those internal stuff and working in the... Um, whatever you want to call it, the collective unconscious, the, the spirit realm, whatever, that that invisible web that connects our consciousnesses. Um, now, the psychedelic experience seems pretty good at interacting with shit like that. You know, you hear all kinds of reports of like psychic surgery and, you know, people astrally projecting and, you know, healing others. And again, most of it exists anecdotally. So it's really hard to tell what's true and what's fake. It's something that fills not only the paranormal phenomenon, but the psychedelic realm where people, um, and it's even worse in the psychedelic realm because there's people who legitimately lose the plot. You know what I mean? There's right. this people who, who they're all in and they believe everything these entities tell them and, they're unable to interact with society anymore. And it, it turns into a, a isolation. It, it cuts you off from that neural web. You, you know, you think you're traveling through to these other realms, but really you've created this echo chamber of weird entities, disincarnate information, and you're, you're cutting off. Um, and so, you have some of that and then you have some people who just, you know, want to make up a cool story, you know, and to tell your story, it needs to take place in the psychedelic realm and <laughs> to make it more interesting, you tell people it's true. And, you know, again, the paranormal's filled with that shit. <laughs> half yeah. the books I pick up, I re I'll read halfway through and I'll be like, okay, so you just made this up. <laughs> I'll just have to put it down and pick up another one because it, it, it's rampant. Um, and the psychedelic experience, unfortunately, since we, you know, we do have our good examples. We do have our scientists, our Timothy Leary's. Um, we have some people who took it more seriously, like Robert Anton Wilson, and who, you know, did it with this kind of academic study that, you know, I'm trying to bring to this paranormal field in the same sense. Um, but there's the the bulk of the research the bulk of the information isn't from those people because those uh experiments took place in universities under you know strict um guidelines and it was you know very uh very scientific in some senses but very sterilized in others and so again it's this this big question mark i wish there was an answer that like here's how you do it here's right. the guide there's lots of guidebooks out there <laughs> but there's there's none that i would you know buy hook line and sinker um you know again safe space safe place and then again having a a good mental headspace 
Um, you know, if you're, you're taking it to like, try to battle, you know, your inner demons, that's, I, I wouldn't do that the first two times. I would try to hang out and have a good time <laughs> the first couple times, because if you're going in and trying to fight an in, in inner demon, there's the chance that the inner demon kicks your ass. It's just true. It happens, you know, as someone who's done these a ton of times and feel comfortable doing them. I've had bad trips before, which is why I feel comfortable knowing which circumstances I should do them and which circumstances I shouldn't. What, what, what were some um, of the bad trips? Like, can you go through one bad trip? Oh, no, no, no. We're not getting into any of those. They're all like ex-girlfriends. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That, yeah, uh, yeah, nothing good. <laughs> no, no, like I wasn't sent to the demon realms. And, okay. Like, burnt, nothing cool or metal. It was all, all drama. <laughs> right, right, right. You didn't but meet again, Alice Cooper in there. <laughs> it, it shows what, what kind of factors. Those are factors you're not considering when you're taking right. psychedelics. You know, you're like, I'm ready for this internal journey. And then and you're like, oh shit, there's these other people around and their realities are going to interact with yours. And right. if you're in this state, you know, you're vulnerable and like vulnerable just to, you know, people being an asshole and that will fuck up your whole, you, you might not know how to react. You can black out. There's all kinds of shit. Okay. And so, you know, um, it's, it's definitely something that should be done safely um you so know where should i start what do you think i should start i recommend mushrooms go for okay. a um, a medium dose at the highest of mushrooms um they are a little tricky though that's the one thing and that's why i kind of recommend it um because a little bit of mushrooms might really blast you off a lot of it might do not really anything um you know at a medium dose you'll you'll get a, at the worst that will happen or I should say the the least effect is in like super, super stones, you'll get some like visuals. That's probably where you'll end at. You might have a heavier experience, which might be good, a good opening to the, the um, you know, the realm. Right. Um, but starting there and then next time maybe work up a little bit you, right. you dial in it's just like anything in life you know you you figure out if you're a beer guy or a liquor guy <laughs> you, you know you gotta dial it in um but i think mushrooms is the way to start because it, it throws you a little bit of curveballs but nothing too crazy um you know you can stuff you should be able to to handle with and again it's the high the come up is more similar to me in stone. So if you've ever smoked weed before, it'll be a little more comfortable transition than like going LSD or mescaline or DMT. <laughs> right. So, so what's the next step after shrooms? Like, like are they on levels where it's like shrooms, then whatever LSD, then blah, 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 blah. Then, then well, up no, to ayahuasca. So shrooms is kind of a blanket term for a lot of different varieties. They all have different effects and again those effects depend on the person um so it, it's kind of it's hard to put them on a scale um once you kind of figure out how comfortable you are on the shroom scale once you figure out like oh i i like to take around this much grams of shrooms and this is kind of the area i'm going for um then i I'd, I'd recommend trying a tab of acid um and that is going to be again, depending on your suppliers and things like this, 
but it's going to be more consistent of an experience. You know, you're going to take one and be like, okay, a tab gets me here. You can take two and be like, okay, a tab gets me there. And then in the future, you'll know two tabs gets me there and so on and so forth. Again, because of the markets though, you never really know. There's so many variants on LSD, uh, chemical variants. You never really know exactly what you're getting um, unless you have a, a good trusted supplier. So I would never recommend, I mean, unless you're sure what you're taking, I never recommend taking more than three tabs of a thing, unless you're 100% sure it's something that's not going to kill you. Because many of the LSD variants, uh, there's like legal ones and shit. You take five tabs and you're, you're gone. There's nothing. You're either not coming back <laughs> or you're, you're, you will actually have, you know, strokes and things like that. So again, because of the market, it's hard to give a recommendation on psychedelics. You know, I, I guess I would move to Oregon and start growing them in my house <laughs> if I was really dedicated to studying that. But that would be the number one recommendation. Um, Amsterdam, you can experiment with, with uh, growable psychedelics there. Um, and I do think the growable ones are are safer just in general. Um, there's not really, you know, an overdose in mushrooms might make you throw up and shit yourself um, and have a, a, a rough trip, but it's not going to kill you. Right. Um, you know, so sticking with the, the maybe peyote would be a good step from mushrooms then if you're going to stay natural. Um, a, that one's pretty hard to get though, this side of the Mississippi. Uh, it's more of a West Coast thing. You can find right. the buttons out there, um, but it's pretty hard. And again, there's variants, there's chemical variants. You can buy legal you know, powders and stuff that um, have similar effects. They're a, a molecule off, you know, like the fake weed, uh, Delta eight and shit. They right. have all of those for, for psychedelics. <laughs> Yeah, as well. But again, that is that is the real shooting in the dark. That's, you know, I said that those traditional practices, they're a flashlight in that dark. Taking those things is like throwing a strobe light on in that dark because you're <laughs> going to see some flashes, but oh, it's shit. not going to make a whole lot of sense. Um, and it, and again, it could be pretty dangerous. So it's it's hard. I wish I wish we lived in a, a place where I can be like, oh yeah, go down to the the this store. <laughs> this is my guy. Here's his phone number. You can go and pick up this 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 you know, and have this um, system. But it's uh, you know, it's do what you can, the best right. you can. So, I'm probably gonna have to meet up with you, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll figure it out. I, I got some people uh, in your area I can I got you. up with. <laughs> All right, my brother. So, okay, so, so paranormal investigations, of course, nothing to do oh, yeah, with yeah, for, with, for, with you know, for, for studies, for yeah, studies. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> Ghost hunting is what you mean. Right. That's it, man. Right, that's right, right. it. <laughs> so you know, you know how like you know, I know weed is like <laughs> getting legalized all across America, and people before it got legalized would say like, oh, if everybody was on weed, the world would be a better place, and that's not true. I mean, it, it, now that weed is legalized, it's not, I don't see the world being better, but do you think with psychedelics, the world would be a better place? No, I don't legal? think it, it's that blanket, like it will solve all the, these problems. I think, again, it's a science that deserves to be studied. I mean, we already know the benefits to PTSD and treating trauma and psychology um, the uses of these psychedelics where they have been studied have shown very positive effects. Um, that being said, uh, you know, 
legalizing psychedelics, you're going to have people on, do, having psychedelic trips. And as we discussed, those trips can go pretty wonky. Right. Um, now, do I think that's a reason they should be illegal? Absolutely not. I think if you look outside today, you'll see plenty of people on the streets who are tripping off some perfectly legal pills and shit. You know, this is a factor. It's always going to be a factor in society. This idea we're going to eliminate, you know, people abusing substances is, is ludicrous. And should people be arrested? It's the same argument for marijuana. Should be people be arrested for growing a plant? Or a fungus? No. <laughs> it's just, you know, it, again, these things are part of our reality, part of our planet. Pretending like they're not is, is it does way more harm than it does good. Um, again, all the scientific research avenues we could explore, um, I think, far outweighs any, you know, oh, God, you know, some some teenagers put edibles in their prom punch. Oh no, <laughs> what the society's crumbling. You know, no, I don't think that's you know. Yeah, will that happen once or twice? Probably, but you know, it's it's um, the overall effects. I think far outweigh the the negative effects we currently exist for for having this. You know, this restriction even this conversation we're having we've already run up into like little bumps where we're like well legally let's not get into that <laughs> so, right. and that's be careful. Up, right right already our free speech is being in, infringed upon just by the, having a conversation the in place. Right. <laughs> you know and that's you know that's fucked up um so yeah i i think there's um again you know only time will tell but i think time will tell that legalizing these things has has these benefits and you know once capitalism sees that they'll start marketing it and <laughs> then we might have a a world where we can actually research this uh the the psychonaut aspect of these things more seriously awesome dude so let's let's switch gears a little bit bro Thank you so much for that information. I'm going to take that into account. Um, first, let me ask you real quick. Do you know these people? Okay. One is George Adamski. Do you know who George Adamski is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Contact what, Eve. Right. What about Travis Walton? Oh, he fire in the sky. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. And then do you, know who Char- do you know who Charles Hall is? Charles Hall. That one sounds familiar, but I'm not, I can't picture him like I can the other two. Okay. <laughs> All right. So before I get into that, OK, I, I, uh, I just wanted to throw those out there. They're, they 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 coincide with what we're going to talk about next. OK, but first, I want to I want to uh, I don't want to make the mistake of uh, going in the wrong order or uh, misrepresenting like your research. You had gone to South America to mm. do research on something. And I know you were able to find a couple of things. One was this group called the Friendship and another one had to do with possibly Hitler escaping Germany and setting up shop in Argentina. So what came first before we get into this? Because I don't want to like, or are they connected? Are they? Yeah, they're absolutely connected. So uh, yeah, I was, I was living in Mexico for a while and um, doing my paranormal research and stuff um, and teaching English. Um, And I was looking for a case that 
you know, I, I had been doing it for a long time, nearly a decade at that point as like a hobby. What, what year were you were you in Mexico? Do you mind? Um, OK, so I went to Chile. It was three years ago. I moved to Mexico. So that would have been God, five years ago. That doesn't seem right. I guess it was. <laughs> I moved there about five years ago. Um, and um, I was teaching English, working online and stuff like that and still doing paranormal stuff, you know, going to haunted places there, but more as like a hobby. I had a little bit of a blog that was kind of my side, you know, thing while I was traveling around. And um, I decided I wanted to do a podcast and then a book. And I wanted to pick a, a paranormal case that hadn't been really covered before. You know, we we get it all the time here in the U.S. How many times have you seen, you know, someone investigate the Stanley Hotel or the, right. you know, fucking throw a dart at the map. If it hits a hotel, there's been a Ghost Hunters episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all of these locations that get repeated over and over again. Um, and there was this really intriguing case I had heard about, um, like a brief mention of the the friendship. And it was this group, this tall, blonde, Pleiadians, if you're into your exopolitics, this kind of uh, Nordic archetype of alien, uh, which again popped up in a lot of the contact e cases here in the U.S. in the 50s and the 60s, okay. when the aliens that people were interacting with were human, right. pretty much in appearance. Um, <clears throat> and so this friendship group, these tall blonde, um, they all had these angelic names, and they were all specialists in various fields of science. And they were interacting with these rural communities scattered throughout Patagonia in southern Chile. Um, and so these really rural fishing communities, these weird blonde strangers would show up and trade with like platinum coins and counterfeit money and right. shit. And how, and long, how long had this been going on? It started, um, reports of the group started in the 80s. Um, there was wow. one main witness, Ernesto de la Fuente, who supposedly went to the island and he was cured of some kind of lung ailment. Wow. There's arguments about whether it was a tumor or whether it was like some other kind of issue, but he did, you know, he had it one day and then supposedly went to this island of aliens and then came back and he was healed. Wow. Um, and that kind of started the national like investigation, the fur. Uh, the South American ufologists looking into it and they began to found the, find these other people who were interacting with the group who were like, oh yeah, I met those weird blonde people. They're fucking weirdos. And <laughs> every time they they like show up shortly afterwards, we start seeing these UFOs. Um, and there was this mass sighting in Santiago of a UFO. It was in the papers, the local news filmed it. Um, and this one woman whose husband had been interacting with the group um, she was on her ham radio talking to the friendship and she was like, Oh, if you're in that UFO, like do a loop de loop and the UFO would respond and do a oh, loop. -de -loop. And so they became convinced that the, the group was actually aboard these craft and steering them. Um, and so it, it kind of, you know, really was this blow up case in the eighties and it kind of died out in the nineties, but throughout the nineties and the two thousands, um, sightings of the group were down, but they never stopped. 
every once in a while these blonde ets would show up and they began to show up in places outside of patagonia they would you know almost man in black style like just appear in the middle of nowhere and knock on a cabin door and be like hey you know it's me one of the friendship aliens what's up dudes um and you know again have these bizarre interactions and i interviewed a couple of people when i was down there who had family members who would have these interactions and um uh on more than one occasion it was reported that they would show up to the house and they know they were there for a while and they had these conversations but they can't remember what that was said like what the information was so almost um, like again, missing time yeah this missing time element this classic kind of ufo situations but just a face-to-face encounter with one of these humans. Um, and a lot of times they were met on boats as well. And so this, this was a, a very intriguing case. And for me, it was kind of a perfect one because I wanted to explore a case for my first big project as one that has many angles, right? And right off the bat, there's a couple different explanations people put on, on this group. Um, one is they're telling the truth. They're actually aliens, which maybe. Um, but the second common explanation for, for people outside of Chile is that this is some kind of Nazi group, um, escaped SS officers operating some kind of science uh, or submarine base out in Patagonia. Um, there was actually Carl Donuts, the submarine commander in his Nuremberg trial. He said that the Fuhrer had a hidden paradise on Earth a fortress hidden in a paradise on earth and conspiracy theorists always point to that line and say that's because they had a secret base in antarctica which isn't quite a paradise but patagonia is fjords those beautiful rock beaches pristine crystal clear water it looks very much like northern scandinavia or what a german officer might consider paradise and so there's this this idea that this is some secret island there's more than um i think it's more than two thousand islands in just chilean patagonia not including the argentinian part um and so it's there's plenty of of space and land to hide something like that um and of course, tall, blonde, they, they kind of match this, this archetype. Um, so that was a common, you know, semi-skeptical, semi-conspiracy explanation. And then, of course, I also wanted to explore it through my psychedelic, you know, kind of that kind of bizarre, high strangeness um, aspect what we've been discussing. Right. And so I conducted a couple psychedelic experiments while I was down there to, to look into that um, and including one in Patagonia to try to get in contact with this group. And I wound up shipwrecked while tripping on LSD, um, which I think I might be the only person in history. <laughs> who have had that specific experience maybe there's like one other dude if you're out there hit me up so so you you went on your own on a ship or somebody you you contacted like how did this whole thing come about like what was your journey um, so I, I did some volunteer projects while I was down there. Um, I, at the time in Mexico, I was living with uh, a girl and she went with me and, um, you know, served as a, a research assistant translator. Wow. Um, really, she was a huge part of the book. Um, and 
you know, so yeah, but it was, I, I mapped it out. I kind of just planned it myself and did all the research. Um, I wound up, actually, it was, it's kind of crazy we're recording this today because I, three years ago on this date was when I was in Villa Bavaria, oh, which shit. was a, a former Nazi compound um, built in the Andes Mountains in Chile. And it was run by this dude, Paul Schaefer. Uh, he, the reason he created this compound religious death cult thing in the middle of the Andes was because he was a pedophile. And they had a school and he was preying on this community. Um, But he was also a former Nazi medic. And Villa Bavaria served as one of these kind of like bus stops on the the Nazi circuit. And so the famous Nazis would, instead of staying at one town or in one place in South America, they'd rotate to these German-speaking settlements and locations and compounds um, and stay like a few months and then move on because, uh, you know, they get nabbed by the, the Mossad if they stayed still for too long. Um, uh, Mangala was one of the famous uh, stand, stop, stop by ease right. at the Villa Bavaria. He worked there at the hospital. Um, that's how they sold it to the local population is, oh, we're going to have a hospital. Uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. You had to drive out <laughs> into the mountains up, up this long winding path to get to this nazi compound where the hospital is do you get taken Um, there by someone so i i was like okay well i'm gonna visit this place um it was used to be colonia dignidad um so that was when paul schaefer ran it eventually he was um arrested like there's a movie about it actually a spanish language film about the kids who escaped from the compound and got to the police and were like, Hey, we've been, you know, being abused. And so, um, ironically, Paul Schaefer hopped on the Nazi circuit and he started rotating around South America. So they couldn't arrest him. He was eventually captured in Brazil. Um, where by the Mossad? Him. no, he wasn't actually wanted by the Mossad because he was only a medic. He was captured oh. by the Chile, uh, Brazilian police extradited him to Chile where they, they finally executed them. Oh, um, that was after Chile had a regime change. Um, uh, Augusto Pinochet, he was put in charge of um, Chile by a CIA-backed coup. He took over the government. And while he was in charge, he would use uh, Villa Bavaria, Colonia Dignidad, as like this basically like this Guantanamo Bay. He would send his political enemies and shit. Anytime they needed to get information from someone, they'd be like, send them to the Germans. Oh, and they'd shit. ship them out. <laughs> they had, they'd ship them out to this compound in the middle of the woods where they had these former Nazi SS officers just go to town on them. And there's no, um, they know that there's dozens of bodies buried out there that haven't been found. That's crazy. Um, they recently found a weapons stash buried on the property. Um, I think that was back in like 2015. Um, and they were like, we didn't know those were there. Like that must have been from the old guys. We swear we're not Nazis anymore. Um, so I was like, okay, well, they say they're not Nazis anymore. Let me go fucking check this out. <laughs> so I, you know, found it on the map and I went to the nearest town, took a bus, got to the bus station. I was like, all right, let me get a ticket to Villa Bavaria. And they're like, there's no no buses go out there. I'm like, what do you mean? No, it's like a tourist destination. I thought like it's supposed to be this German retreat. And they're like, no, no buses go out there. 
I was like, well, how how do you get there? And they're like, you can take a bus to this village um, and then you can knock on this guy's door. And if he's home, he'll probably drive you the rest of the way for like 20 <laughs> bucks. And I was wow. like, OK. And, so, and you're like, by yourself or you're with that translator? I, yeah, I'm with my my um, partner, my translator at the time. Um, and yeah, so we we both drive up. <laughs> we will take the bus to the little village hop off at this guy's house, knock on the door, um, wait for a while. And then, yeah, he's there. And he's like, all right, cool. Drives us even further into the Andes mountains. I thought it would be like, okay, he's going to like take us, you know, maybe 20 minutes. It was another like hour down the road into the, the mountains and super remote. You know, you're on the compound because you drive past these big metal fences and this giant old watchtower. They have a, it's on the right side of the road. They have the giant watchtower. And then on the left going up this hill is this old church. Um, And neither of them are used anymore. And you drive further and further and further in and you eventually get to this wooden gate bridge and Chilean people are working at the like little office there. Um, But they open the bridge and you get in there and then it's, this little German community. There's like a, an auto store that's like working on old Mercedes and shit. Um, there's, they make pies um, that they ship out to the local community, really good German food restaurant, um, German beer. And it's this, yeah, this weird little German community. Um, so we stayed um, a night at the hotel there um, at night. I went out looking around see if there was any weird shit going on because we showed up unannounced i and i when i showed up i wasn't like i'm here to write about ufos and nazis i was like <laughs> oh no you know i heard about it i heard it was nice i heard you guys got some some good beer you know <laughs> so i uh, i did a little snooping um i went into the museum after hours and looked around um and they didn't scrub anything in the next day they i didn't discover any hidden secrets i was hoping for my indiana jones moment (laughs) um but yeah it was certainly the closest i think i've gotten to like real journalism (laughs) investigating you know the paranormal um but yeah it was this super bizarre location one thing i did find that I, i found pretty interesting pretty striking was that there were these photo albums of um you know weddings that took place there and i was like who the fuck has their wedding at the nazi death compound and flicking through it i would say 90 percent of the people were military officers they were wearing their their um you know suits and stuff and so thinking US? about that US no, chilean, chilean, okay. chilean military so um, and again, that they had this close connection to the Pinochet regime, this kind of far right element in the um, Chilean government still exists. And um, get, they had this weapons stash that was discovered in 2015 that they say, oh, it must have been from way back. It must have been from way back. But they, there's these officers that come out there and have their weddings and shit. So it, it, there's still some weird something weird going on out there. I don't think it's quite cleaned up its reputation as much as they, they claimed. Um, I went, I went to look at the graveyard and got lost and wound up hiking for hours um, because the compound is so massive. The only reason I knew I was still in the general areas, I'd bump up 
into this iron, this big chain link barbed wire fence every once in a while. And I was like, oh, shit, well, at least I'm, I'm still on the property. They'll be able to find me. Right. Um, Right. But it was it's thousands of acres out there. So, you know, if it, it could have taken a while, but I did end up uh, finding my way back. I did also find a bunch of cement like cisterns just in the middle of the woods. Um, I, I took a picture of a couple of them. Um, again, it's all fresh in my memory because the picture has popped up on my phone today because it's the anniversary. That's crazy, uh, but they had man. these big stone uh, like cement you know, blocks half buried in the dirt in the middle of nowhere. And I wouldn't be surprised if there were a few of those missing people in, in some of those. Um, so no, definitely a weird location. Um, and it kind of proved that there's certainly a, uh, a possibility to that Nazi explanation when it comes to the friendship. Um, but of course, there's a lot of other paranormal shit involved that really kind of detracts from it. Even the timing, the bulk of the sightings are in the eighties and none of these friendship, like, like the contact E sightings, like these ET sightings, every member of the friendship drop dead sexy. I mean, you just want to, mm, they're, <laughs> they're hot as hell, right. perfect specimens. And that's a consistent report. Right. Um, you know, there, none of, there's no old, members there's no young members there's not a community like there was at villa bavaria when we were there there was lots of old people some middle-aged people i don't think i saw any kids which considering the history might be a good thing um but um you know there there was a gradient an age gradient there's also um one of the most common factors in these descriptions of the friendship is this overwhelming sense of calm and peace when you're interacting with them. And as someone who's traveled a lot, not just in Central South America, but Europe, North Africa, I've met a lot of German people. And I don't think I'd ever <laughs> describe them as radiating a sense of peace, <laughs> you know? Right. But a lot of great, nice German people, but, you know, that is not a description that pops to mind. <laughs> you know, I'm, I met a Swedish yogi who kind of did that once. And then I found out he had a very large temper. Um, but <laughs> the, <laughs> the German tourists, very nice, but yeah. definitely German. Um, and so again, there's these reports that these details, these factors that don't quite add up to that, that um, you know, Nazi explanation. Um, now the UFOs, that could be a factor to the Nazi explanation or not, depending on what camp of UFOlogy you're in. Right. Because uh, supposedly the Nazis delved into that and they have blueprints of quote unquote UFOs. And then yeah, the, the Nazi bell, there's this yeah, idea the that they, they had an anti-gravity uh, device. Um, and of course the stories of the Foo Fighters and things like that, a very popular out there, uh, it's it's very in the the zeitgeist of uh, paranormal uh, theories. So it, again, it was a really cool case, a really interesting story, and one that hadn't been told for an English speaking audience. You know, um, so it was a really I I felt the, the need to jump on it, and so I went down there and um, did some on the ground research, and you know, released a half the first half of it as a podcast and then released the entire version of it um as a book 
And um, yeah, I thought, you know, it was kind of like a, a little passion project, an excuse to go traveling and, you know, go to some weird places. Um, and then it kind of blew up and people started reading it. And, um, you know, the, the on the ground research really uh, struck a chord with with a lot of um, readers because, you know, it, it doesn't happen too much. There's a lot of theorizing going on out there. Um, I, I'm on Twitter. I, I hear it all, but there's very few, you know, people who are like willing to follow up and, and take that extra step to, you know, see what's going on to interview right, actually, actually go out there. Yeah. Yeah. Look into these theories. Um, and yeah, I understand, you know, there were a couple of times where I was sneaking around the Nazi compound, like, man, I might get fucking shot for this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a challenge, but, um, I'm so glad I did it because people have, have responded. So are they, do, do you know if they still exist as this group? Well, I went down, uh, I went deep into Patagonia and my attempts to get in contact with them. Um, but I had a lot of funding limitations and stuff. There's still some experiments and things I'd like to try to, to get contact with the group again. Um, or for the first time, I should say, because unfortunately they did not reach out to me. I, but again, I, I went to Patagonia, I did some psychedelic experiments, and I zeroed in on some locations that I think are prime for um, this, the center of this friendship phenomenon. Um, in particular, some UFO landing sites and things that um, you know hadn't been discussed before. Um, and in my attempts to investigate it, shipwrecked uh while i was 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 tripping hard so um without i don't want to give any more spoilers away go pick up the book right to find out all the details of that but it gets wild from there's some psychic dolphins in there it gets wow. weird it, it was a weird investigation um and uh you know it's a, a weird story um and i'm glad i got to tell it from a rational perspective <laughs> <laughs> oh that's cool man and include all the fun details you know <laughs> we it's it's definitely a, a worthwhile uh journey all right so the names that i mentioned the reason why i mentioned them is like you know george you say you know who george adamski is Adamski was, yeah. but they both encountered um what you would call nordic pleiadian mm-hmm. aliens um, what was the charles hall Where okay so well, check this out. This is the reason why I brought it up. And, and you should look into this if you, if you have the opportunity. It's very interesting. And it runs along the lines of, of the research that you did. Charles Hall was an ex-United uh, States Air Force veteran. He was uh, what they would call, um, I want to say, not a meteorologist. He, he, he went by a weather observer, which is essentially a media, meteorologist. But he was stationed mm-hmm. at uh, the Nellis uh, testing range in in Las Vegas. Okay. Right. Now what people don't understand is, um, every 51 is part of the Nellis testing range. Yeah. 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 I worked at Nellis for four years in, in the late nineties to the early two thousands. Okay. Um, there's another base out there called, it was called Indian Springs air force base, but they changed mm. it. It's now called Creech air force base. Right. And it's not too far away from, uh, Nellis. And it's not too far away from where area 51 AKA Groom Lake is mm-hmm. this base is where this guy was stationed at in the seventies and the eighties. Um, I want to say he was there in the eighties, but he was a media meteorologist and apparently he befriended and became friends with these Nordic 
type aliens called okay. the tall. Yeah, it's called the tall whites. Yeah, this is sounding familiar. Yeah, right. There's, so there's a documentary and books on on him. But what is the book you know, called? Uh, I think it's called I think it's called French Friendship with the Tall Whites, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, if okay, I'm not mistaken, I think Charles it's called. Hall. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I think it's called Friends with the Tall Whites or Friendship with the Tall Whites, something along those lines. But he befriended these. Initially, the story goes that he was afraid of them. Because obviously, you know, they're from another planet or whatever, and they were they had different characteristics than us. Some similar characteristics, but also different because they looked humanoid, but they weren't 100 percent humans. Yeah. And then he befriended them, particularly, I think, a female one. And uh, he just had a relationship. Oh, did they make whoopee? Because the, you know? the Nordics like to fuck is what <laughs> I do know in my research, man. He might have, hey. bro. He might have. They like um, to sling that thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder, you know, I'm wondering if it's, you know, to hi- hybridize, you know, you know, maybe to save their race. You know, you hear all these different like stories of. Oh, yeah. That's one of the popular race. theories, the hybrid program. Um, right. And that seems to be coming from them, the ETs themselves, which is actually the thing that makes me most skeptical of that explanation. Um because nothing they do is like honest, <laughs> you know, right. they abduct people in the middle of the night. They kill our cattle without permission. Right. They perform these super invasive and again, often sexual medical experiments. There's a lot of borderline rapes and rapes in these abduction cases. Right. Um, and so to believe them saying, oh, that's what we're doing. Eh. They're not They're Again, they're not a trustworthy um uh, entity and that's actually one of the commonalities throughout all the paranormal phenomenon that's why Jacques Vallée and others have written about the the trickster the idea that um you know it's the this kind of trickster entity wearing different masks and fucking with people right. um which again uh, yeah goddess heiress is how I like to view it she she fucks with all of us that's life <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, that that the phenomenon certainly has that tricky aspect to it. Um, Yeah. So I actually, before we get into that, as someone who who worked there, I got to ask, what do you think of the Bob Lazar? How do you what are your opinions on Bob Lazar? Because I am all mixed up on that guy. Well, (laughs) you got you got to put in perspective, right? First, Bob Lazar was referred to George Knapp uh by um lear robert lear right okay so and then when he introduced um when he introduced them lazar did not want to come out and show his face yeah yeah no i remember the the whole saga right that whole saga um your opinion of him as a witness like as well well i'm I'm getting to that the reason why like i feel like he's legit is because my own experience along with hearing other people like for instance uh i'll send you a link to like a couple of interviews that i did about some of my own experiences but one of them happened while i was in the air force and Mm -hmm. and the result of what happened after it was what i reported not necessarily myself i was i was a witness with three other airmen so -hmm. it wasn't me by myself there was three other people who corroborated the same story i i said and then it was the reaction after which was to essentially silence everything, you know, you know right. what I'm saying? So yeah. he, uh, the, you know, he goes to 
S1, which is this place outside of Area 51. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in Area 51. It was supposedly outside of which supposedly someone had found the 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 bunkers. I don't know if you know about that. They, yeah, they found inside the, the mountain bunkers. there. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Recently, I think like a year ago, maybe two years oh, yeah. ago. But yeah. anyway, so he doesn't want his face to be seen. So obviously, if if it's if it was about attention and making money, he would have made himself known right from the get go. He wouldn't have mm -hmm. tried to hide himself. And even when the first interview was done, which I'm pretty sure you've seen, he's blacked out and his voice oh, yeah. is altered. Yeah. So again, yeah, that we're, like we're, why we're, we're, again, if, if you want notoriety, you're not doing that. You're coming out. You're, you're telling. You're going to like major news networks all across the world to get to get known so you can uh, you know whatever make money off of this or if he has like some sort of mental uh thing yeah. where he, he wants to be you know on you know attention on him you know he, he would have went that route but he didn't so he he shows lear where this place is at he takes people there they yeah, wind they up see the craft yeah they see the craft but they wind up getting caught mm -hmm. and then he winds up getting kicked out you know, he yeah. winds up getting kicked out. And then that's when he has to, he realizes for himself, this is from his own words. For safety, like, yeah. For safety reasons, I have to come out. I have to show my face because if not, then, you know, I'm going to be off. Then, you know, nobody's ever going to know about it. And plus some of the characteristics, right? So you have flying saucers. I've seen them before. You you said you've seen them before. They're always on a horizontal plane for the most part, mm -hmm. right? And, they, and people have seen, oh, they travel on a horizontal plane, blah, blah, blah. He was the first one to say that they turn sideways sometimes to travel because they they yeah. they have like the way the 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 way of uh i don't know distorting time mm -hmm. and space and so that's seen in the the gimbal footage yeah and that's seen in the gimbal footage so this is before the gimbal footage and 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 so he already talked about it element 115 he talked about it back then they said yeah, oh, so that's one of the ones though that that fucks with me because right. whatever element was discovered next was going to be element 115 and the one they do have now isn't identical to the one he's describing so that that one because they did eventually discover an element 115 and oftentimes people are like that proves it's real and my brother is a chemist i was like is that the same as this and he's like no a totally different thing which again though maybe the military they discover this element they label it 115 the public right. discovers a different element they label right. it 115 so now the military calls it 116 or whatever right i got you who, who knows it could be right. possible but i mean i if you, always go ahead, go ahead go ahead i'm sorry uh, well i always kind of felt like because i do think he he's proven that he worked there um but part of me wonders if there's not like a retirement plan option where they're like, hey, so your contract's coming to a close, but what if we gave you this amount of money every month for the rest of your life and you go out there and you tell this crazy UFO story that you worked here and it was, you know, it's you and because you'll be able to prove it. And then, you know, we'll do some like theater to make it look real and, you know. Yeah, it's it's just a, we got to spend the budget money and it'll be fun to fuck with China, you know, <laughs> like that's yeah. just some kind of elaborate, weird psyop. Do you think that's a possibility? Any Anything's possible. Uh, okay. Jazz, the way I see it, because, again, I'm ex-military and if you and I'm pretty sure you might know military personnel yourself. They'll tell you, man, um, mm. uh, it's a dog and pony show. You know, you they, they make it beautiful on the outside, but behind the curtain, you don't know uh, mm. what's really going on until somebody tells you. I mean, it, 
yeah, I wouldn't doubt that they can do something like that. But I, I just don't get that sense from Bob Lazar that he from Bob. Okay. That. But I mean, again, it could be he could be punking all of us in the end. Uh-huh. He could be punking all Laughing of us. Laughing all the way to the bank. Who you know? knows? <laughs> but like, you know, but if, again, if you look at all of the, the, the stuff that he's brought forth, and like you said, the one thing that he may have not gotten right, the one, the element 115, it's kind of like saying, um, I don't know if you watch sports, but it's kind of like saying if, if a batter goes up and he gets three hits mm-hmm. out of four, he's a bad player because he didn't get that one hit at that last at bat. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's, yeah. you know, he's got a great batting average, but he's he sucks because, he, mm-hmm. oh, he didn't get that one hit. Oh, I mean, he's certainly you know? an intriguing ri- witness. And the story is tops, which, you know, I love a good story. Yeah. Uh, but it's that that's also the thing. It's so good. You know, when he sees <laughs> the little alien guy in the hallway, that's usually with my. Where I'm like, I don't know, man. No, but he even <laughs> says himself that he doesn't even think that was real. He thought that right. he thought it was a prop or something. Or so they were possibly it. doing psyops on him. So again, yeah. the psyop angle, I'm I'm just not sure. He's an interesting character in in the field. I some days I wake up and I'm like, yeah, he's right. It's true. They got the. I love the one he said there was one that was dug out of an archaeological site. Which, oh, I love that. That's so, right. it's again, it's an Indiana Jones moment. It's so <laughs> cool. I want it to be true, but I know that that feeling where, like, it's that it's too good. It's right. too good to be true because it is, it's all the mythologies. It's ancient aliens, it's underground alien bases, it's operating craft. We have ones we can fly around. It's, you know, it, it's, it almost it's it sounds like when some of those stories, the exopolitics stories, where it's the reptilians fighting the Pleiadians, and right. it's a fun like Star Wars battle for the destiny of Earth and the Greys and all that. Right, it's a fun story, <laughs> but man, that's a pretty wild like the the degree of evidence you need to to prove a story like that is insane. And there again, it's there's this one of the first paranormal investigations i can remember you know i don't even know if you could call it because i was still a kid i was camping um with a friend i used to go camping with all the time and we met a group of kids at the campsite and we were all hanging out and um there was this like in between the trailers this empty part of the trailer park where there were these you know mobile homes all of them were empty you would walk over the speed bump and you would hear this, these wind chimes and you could like step over it and not hear them and step across it. And then you could hear them. This really kind of bizarre sound phenomenon. Uh, and nowadays, like it was clearly just echoing through the houses. It was just some kind of weird, you know, sound thing, not really that paranormal, but you know, as kids we're like testing it out, we're all getting spooked. It's an overcast stormy day and we're, we're testing it out and getting freaked out. And then one kid comes riding on his bike from the other direction. And he's like, the ghosts are planning an attack. We got to get ready, guys. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what, 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 what the fuck are we talking about? No, like, this is a real thing. This is a thing. We're, we're experiencing a thing here. And you're, why are you attaching this ludicrous narrative? And um, the difference with Bob Lazar is he, he, it does look like he worked there. So, <laughs> like, I do kind of right. got to get him you know that credit um so it's 
but the story, the story has that feeling. It has the the ghosts are attacking feeling to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. You're like, I don't know, man. That's just a little too much. If it was just, you know, a craft that they had, maybe. But it's it's all the stories, and yeah. that that's why I think it almost it almost feels scripted. So maybe he's laughing to the bank. I, I hope it's true. Well, the um, thing is, is he making true, money? Tell though. us about it. Damn it. Yeah. Like, like, is he making money? Because I know he has his own business, but it has nothing to do with like UFOs, you know. Um, and right. then that that documentary that Jerry Jeremy Corbell did, I don't know if he's making money off of that. Like, I don't right. Know well, I don't. Again, there's very trust me on this one. There's very little money in the paranormal. <laughs> um, but um, so that argument, <coughs> you know, they're in it for the money doesn't really fly. But. Um, the if it is one of these weird psyop things that money's going into an offshore bank account right we're, we're never gonna fucking know about you know that's just how these these organizations operate right uh, they, they they're kind of like look at this hand while the mm, other hand is doing something else you know right and then i, I of course we know the military's lying about what they know about ufos i mean and the recent ufo hearings they did a little bit for the public and then the rest of it was behind closed doors and yep. <laughs> i i have a, a source i know well and trust in one of the three-letter agencies and he's like i've seen all kinds of videos that fucking blow the gimbal footage oh out yeah of the water yeah, yeah um you know shit from helmet cameras and multiple angles and shit and the phenomena is here and, and we're interacting with it and um the issue is studying the phenomenon. It's been here a long time. It's been it's been with us and in, exists in these many forms. And again, the form is kind of dependent on a lot of shit, cultural context and our consciousness and how we interact with reality. And these things seem to to appear in many ways. And um I, I tend to think, you know, yes, the government's lying about it, but does that mean they have the answers? I don't know. If they're studying the same phenomenon I am, then they bet they, they, they either have some crazy technological and philosophical understandings beyond the current populace. Right. But judging by the public show of politics, we can say that's probably not true. <laughs> right. We, we aren't putting our brightest, best people forward most of the time. So the there is a likelihood that they're, they're, they've hit a wall as well. They might have craft. They might have, you know, tech. But um, I think they're, and again, Bob Lazar says this, which convinces me a little bit, that there is, they've, they've hit this point where they're like hopelessly inept at trying to, to understand certain aspects of this technology um so you know i, I don't know I, I think again they should probably just release that information and we crowdsource this shit that's what made america great right. from the beginning right we we made the an atomic bomb by picking up all the scientists that were fleeing europe you know operation paperclip we got to well even before that we were getting the jews that were getting kicked out albert einstein's and and his colleagues are oppenheimers oh Oppenheim, um, Oppenheimer, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so He's the creator you know, of that, uh, that's america's strength is that we're we're 
the international community manifest. You know, right. we're, we, we, we're all we pillage. <laughs> yeah, you know, crowdsource that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. release the videos. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There's probably an agenda. I'm pretty sure they don't release the videos. But um, there's this guy that I've been talking to. I'm real good friends with him. I don't know if you're aware of who he is, but he has a site on YouTube called UFOs All Over Vegas. His name is Steve Barone. Have you heard of him? So name rings a bell, yeah. Okay, so um, of his footage, right? That's it. He's 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 the guy that's not wasn't initially a UFO guy. Had his first experience on a cruise when he was like in his forties. So he was never into UFOs, mm-hmm. and he saw his first UFO when he was like in his forties. And then he he lives in Vegas, like outside of uh like the city, and oh, yeah. where he's facing is this corridor, this mountainous corridor that leads to Indian Springs where the tall whites are and he captures constant footage there. And I contacted him only because he put up this footage of a triangular UFO that reminded me of an experience that I had while I was stationed out in, in at NOS. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to get him to uh, as well to, to interview, but yeah, you should look into that, like into more of his videos and maybe contact him because he has done research into Charles Hall and the tall whites and stuff. So, and he's connected to Jaime Maussan too. So, Right. Well, yeah, I, I think um, I think there's certainly an aspect if if these craft are human constructed and from your experiences and from many people, there seems to be a good amount of evidence that at least a portion of them are that there is this psychedelic aspect that we don't quite know about. We're not privy to. Um, you know, there's uh, a fun theory, which would need a lot more research to be called an actual theory, but an idea that a lot of the MK Ultra psychedelic experiments were to prep people for zero gravity travel. There was this discovering that the side effect of these crafts is psychedelic. And I have this whole B theory that gets into it. And okay, it... I, I want, yeah, that's what I was going to go into <laughs> next, okay? So let's talk about Viktor Grabenikov. Is that his name? Yes, Grabenikov. Okay. Um, so he was a Russian scientist. Uh, well, actually, let me start with how I got onto B Okay, theory. please, so, and, and don't spare details, please. <laughs> it was very synchronistic, and it was weird. I was in Morocco, Um traveling around backpacking um i had met some some friends i met this one dude who he's he's a professional adventurer i don't know how to put it any other way he like right now he's teaching skydiving before that he was like uh helping yachts sail through pirate territory and shit he just goes around and does crazy shit um adventurer he's an adventurer Right. And so, you know, we linked up and I do my weird paranormal shit. And he was like, all right, cool. Let's do some shit. I know a guy you need to meet. Um, And it was actually a friend of his. And we met this friend and the friend was like, oh, no, no, I'm not the guy you need to talk to. It's this other guy. Um, He's an American dude, older dude. His dad worked for the CIA and he has the weirdest. he'll, He'll tell you some shit. And so I'm like, awesome, fuck it. Let's go meet this guy. (laughs) And it's Morocco. We're all smoking hash, hanging out. (laughs) Um, And we go to this roadside cafe and meet this dude. And he begins to tell me some of the wildest shit ever. Um, The core of it is that 
um, oh yeah, no, I know people who fly UFOs. Yeah, I, I know a, co- a couple of pilots are friends of mine. And I'm like, oh shit, oh, okay. <laughs> and he said, um, yeah, no, they're they're based on honeybees. And I was like, what the fuck, honeybees? It's like, yeah, they got an anti-gravity chamber in their thorax and they reverse engineered that. And uh, that's what powers the UFOs. They just put like a big one of those in a, a metal box and you got a UFO. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> crazy. I didn't even write it down or anything. It was just burned into my memory. I was like, this is weird. I'm high as shit. Roadside cafe in Morocco. This dude just told me UFOs powered by bees. He even told me he could get me a ride on a UFO, which oh, I'm shit. still waiting on. Um, seriously, land him in my yard, George, if you're <laughs> listening to this. Um, <laughs> uh, so I actually met him a second time for lunch at his house. And it was in this neighborhood in Morocco where every other property was a mansion. Like his neighbor was, it was the Spanish princess's like vacation home overlooking the Mediterranean, just this really impossible. I was like, okay, weird, unemployed, older dude, Morocco, little, little bizarre um living alone with his sister in this strange property now i never saw any like badges or like confirmation that his dad worked for the cia but morocco was that international zone for or tangier that area was the international zone there was a lot of spy craft pretty much people getting assassinated from different countries every week down there for for a decade or so um so it's not an impossible thing. It was kind of weird. Um, and I wrote about that little diatribe in my chapter in my book about the Nazi bell and the Nazi UFOs. The Glock, and, yeah. you know, the bell's kind of shaped like a bee's ass. And oh, <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. Like, it looks it's like kind of weird. Yeah. One little paragraph um, about it. And um, I was doing a podcast like a year later and it wasn't even a paranormal podcast. It was like this comedy general subject podcast, but they wanted to have me on for like, uh, you know, an October fall episode or something. And um, he read the book and he was like, that paragraph jumped out at me because uh, I had a friend when I was growing up that his dad worked for the military, but we never knew what branch or what he did. All he would tell us was he was a men in black like in the movies, like no all way. They, he had something to do with aliens and UFOs and shit. And when this guy was on the deathbed, the son asked him for more information. And all he would say was look at the bees. Oh. Um, and the, the son in this podcast host for the longest time, they had assumed it was something how the way bees communicate or something like that until he read that paragraph in my book. Um, so then I did some research. I, do- I dove in. And first I started scientifically looking at academic papers, all the boring shit. Um, <laughs> Get that out the and way. <laughs> the, well, there was some weird stuff there, though. There used to be this rumor myth saying for a long time. It's even at the start of the Jerry Seinfeld B movie that bees are too heavy to fly um, and they but they do so anyways or something like that um i think the jerry seinfeld one ends with because they don't give a fuck or something um but there's this weird um 
ability bees have. The wings are technically too small. Some MIT mathematicians were sitting around one day and they did the math because that's what nerds do when they're bored. And they figured out that, shit, the wings are too small on a bee. That's weird. Um, and nowadays they have this explanation that they do this special whirlwind pattern and it gives them the additional lift to, to take off. Um, but there is this mystery about honeybees in particular. They have this thing called economy mode. Um, and it's like a car's economy mode. And it's something they notice when bees are carrying pollen. They are actually using less energy. They're flying around as if they were lighter when they're holding weight. Um, and that is still a mystery. No one understands, you know, if you're carrying stuff, you're going to move slower. You're going to be heavier. But bees, they, they get faster when they're carrying pollen. Um, and this economy mode still remains mystery. And I was like, okay, pretty cool, pretty weird. Let me see if there's any kind of like weird. Now, let me go to the, the other side of the iceberg. Right. Let's look for any kind of weird, conspiracy, bizarre stuff. Um, and I found one. I found it through KeelyNet, which was a dead website. Um, but it was run by this guy um, who has passed away, unfortunately, but he was fascinated with free energy devices, like pages on like um, the dude in Brazil who built the car that runs on water, um, pages on uh, this old figure, Keeley, who the website's named after, who supposedly had this free energy device that they eventually found that it was just pipes running through his house using compressed air to move this shit around. Um, but supposedly it was at, wasn't filled with air. It was actually filled with this weird miracle gas. Um, but all kinds of weird theories. One of them, the one he was working on right before he passed away, um, was this research from Russia on a, by a scientist named Viktor Gurbinikov. Um, and unlike the other people covered in the, the website, engineers and whatnot, this guy was an entomologist, a bug scientist. And he wrote these memoirs and he was a real dude. There's a department in a university in Siberia named after him. There's even a little like museum section. Um, with some of his his discoveries and stuff and he did he discovered a lot about um there was something about an alfalfa pest um some other kind of jumping insects all kinds of stuff but in his memoirs in addition to all of his discoveries in the the world of entomology he wrote about the time he built a flying craft out of bug parts um, and he said that he discovered in the wings of heavy insects, and it wasn't just bees, but this would apply to any kind of heavy insect, even the like flying cockroaches, the palmetto bugs and shit. I hate, dude, I hate those things. Oh my lord, <laughs> well, I go to war with those things, man. They might be the secret to anti-gravity. So oh, shit, man. <laughs> so I can't kill them. <laughs> no, kill them and rip their wing plates off and put them in a bag for me. Oh, shit, man. I don't so, know, man. I hate them things. <laughs> oh, they're gross. They're, they yeah. Crunch, oh, uh, yeah, I am. Um, it's so big. Um, but it also applies to other shit that gets a little weird when you think of like scarab beetles in Egypt, right. which were right. deified. 
Um, and supposedly Viktor Gabinikov stitched a bunch of these. He wired them together, these wing plates. They have these special patterns under them. And he put them together in a box. And this box had this weird gravity-defying ability. You, he would, like, tap it with a pencil and fly up to the ceiling and oh, kind of, wow. like, float down a little bit and, like, bounce almost like a balloon on the way down. Um, and, you know, if eventually he said he strapped a bunch of these boxes together on like a little pallet, pallet with handlebars and like a little lever. And um, supposedly this craft would fly and it could go impossible speeds. Um, but the thing that hit home to me about his research was the side effects of operating this craft he described. And what he described is essentially the same list I wrote in my um, first book of the similarities between paranormal experiences and psychedelic experiences. He wrote about these weird alterations of time. He said on one instance, because he'd fly it out to these remote fields in Siberia and collect insect samples because, you know, he's an insect scientist. On one trip, he put a larva in a vial, put it in his pocket, flew it back to his lab, two-hour flight. Um, when he got there, the larva was fully grown on the inside, something that would normally take months. Um, and it was a full-grown bug. Inside. And what did, he, what did he attribute that to? He attributed it to the craft because a, a series of strange events began to happen. In places where he would land the craft and operate it, uh, poltergeist activity started to happen. Uh, if he dropped something off the side of the craft, he noted that people's windows would have these perfectly circular burned holes inside of them, um, which is something that's popped up in a lot of UFO flaps, uh, including the Mothman flap in um, Point Pleasant. Right. Uh, and one instance, he actually found part of the vial fused inside one of these windows. Um, so all kinds of weird space-time altering side effects that local people were interpreting as paranormal phenomenon. Um, and interestingly enough, when he flew this craft, uh, he noted on the, the first trip, he flew it around this little university town. The next morning, people were reporting all kinds of UFO sightings, but none of them were reporting a man standing on a pallet. They were reporting these glowing discs in the sky. And he noted that every time he operated the craft, people on the ground would look up and they would see these glowing geometric shapes, circles, triangles, tubes, but they would never see a guy <laughs> fly in a little pallet machine. Um, and the, the list of side effects went on. And eventually he decided to stop using the craft because he was like, well, if it fucking grew an insect <laughs> in like a month, it's probably not good for like my heart and shit. And two, that people were seeing UFOs all over the world at this point. This wasn't, um, you know, an early discovery. This, this occurred in like the 80s and the 90s. And so he was like, so, someone else knows this and they're not talking about it. It's not public knowledge. I'm not going to be the guy. Like, I'm not going to get killed over this shit. I'm going to put this away and pretend like I didn't discover shit. Right. Um, and that was kind of the literally a chapter in his memoirs. It's just a portion of his his story. And he's like, yeah. And so that's why I stopped using that. Um, and 
uh, Keeley was in touch with Gurbinikov's son and they were trading papers and information. And um, unfortunately, the guy running this website died. No information on how that happened. Um, but the the story kind of dried up there. And I actually, um, I have a few friends from Russia. I was going to get the sponsorship and go over there and try to track down the, the this story. Um, but obviously current conditions have yep. made it unsafe for Americans to be right. traveling in Russia. Um, so the project is on semi-hold because I'm looking at um, researching it from different angles. Um, from things like, uh, you know, talking to entomologists here in Gainesville um, at UF and um, going and looking at things like the Coral Castle here in South Florida. Um, again, where this guy seemed to move these impossibly large stones with this weird vibrating shell um, is what was described. Uh, I don't know if you know that story, but it's a, a crazy story. I've heard of it, but does it have to do with insects? What shell are you talking about? Shell like... Uh... So, well, he was... Supposedly, he built this um, giant monument, and then he moved it several miles by himself. Um, and the only people witnessing him moving these impossibly large stones were these school kids who said they saw him using a shell um, that he... Uh, like this weird cone kind of thing that he was using to levitate these blocks. Now, the connection to this is in Aztec mythology, there is a story where Quetzalcoatl, um, the main kind of figure in Aztec mythology, um, the feathered serpent, but you right. often, that's actually uh, a misnomer. We picture him like a Chinese dragon, but that term just meant wise man. A feathered serpent was a wise man. So he's more like Gandalf. Um he at one point is in the underworld and he has to trick the God of the dead who sits atop this pyramid. And to do so, he puts a bunch of bees inside of this cone and does this dance around the pyramid. And this tricks the, the God of the underworld. Um, again, it's not a perfect story. It's not like he built it with the, the cone, but there is this pyramid and this dance around. And again, these really impressive structures that no one's quite sure how the the Aztecs built. Again, the History Channel says it's fucking aliens. Right. <laughs> um, but if it is something as simple as insects, then this is probably a technology that's been discovered and rediscovered and maybe even hidden. Right. Uh, think of the Freemasons. What were they? They were masons. They were stone workers, builders. Right perhaps the fucking secret of the shit is bees. <laughs> and there is a lot of bees in their mythology and their symbolism and shit too, which right. is bizarre. Um, and then of course the mentioned earlier, the ancient Egyptians and the scarabeal deification. If it is as simple as Gurbinikov describes, then yeah, they could have just stitched a bunch of insect scarab beetle wings together, slid it under these massive stones. And then you could just get like, four dudes on every each corner and they could and lift just it move up it. and right. move it into place, right. which would explain the whole thing. Right. It's a very simple kind of uh, explanation that again, it it's not fucking aliens from a different planet who levitate stones with their spaceships for some reason, which is something we've never seen a UFO do on our planet. Right. We've right. never seen any UFO 
pick up a giant rock and move it somewhere else. That would be wild if we did. Then we right. could be like, oh, yeah, maybe ancient aliens is real. But that's it's not one of the details we see. But the Gurbinikov explanation would, would allow that to kind of make sense. Um, and so it's, it's a, certainly a weird story. Um, it's a hard to verify one. There's not a lot of entomologists running around. Um, and there's not really much research into anti-gravity insects. Um, maybe that's intentional. Maybe it's suppressed. Alex Jones voice. Um, but <laughs> again, who knows? All right. So a couple of questions. Yeah, go and, for and it. it. It's more of like a statement, I guess, statement slash question. But you said yeah. that, okay, Keeley died due to, quote unquote, on, un, un, you know, certain circumstances, right? Keeley passed away and that's why the site. Well, the, again, the guy's name, um, it eludes me right now, but his, the website was Keeley Net. Okay. Um, uh, I don't, I, there's no information. He wasn't like a super famous researcher or anything you know right. i just know that his on his twitter handle or whatever people were acknowledging that he had passed um and that's that's the only thing i know no details right. on on how that happened All but right. i do know it looks like through this website which is only available through the wayback machine at this point um through his website though the last you know saves and whatnot it looks like the last thing he was working on was this Grabenikov research. Right. So he's, he's doing research on it, but Grabenikov senior, uh, because he quote, again, quote unquote, felt like it might be harmful to himself. He quote unquote, stopped. Could it be that he was told don't look into this any further? He stops. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so intriguing that this guy who runs the site, Keeley, starts looking into it and maybe he starts to uncover some stuff and then he gets taken out. Yeah, I mean, I'm I I have also noticed that trend and I am I've taken it upon myself to uh, be the third times a trend on it. So if the men in black show up, I like die in a mysterious circumstance you know, it's because of the fucking bees, man. Get, get a bunch of bees <laughs> and start building your own UFOs. <laughs> it's the bees. It's the bees. <laughs> it's the bees. The bees. Not the bees. Um, yeah, no. It, I, my life feels like that fucking scene sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> not yet. No one's knocked on my door and said, shut the fuck up. Stop talking about bees. So, right. uh, again, it's just... Uh, I have to, I, I called Bob Lazar out on it. So I'm going to call myself out on it. It's too good of a story. It really, I, it's a good, it's a good ass story. But um, it's out there. That's the thing. It's out there. Uh, but a good story doesn't mean it's true. And we, you got to remind ourselves on that. Um, but it's, yeah, no, it's certainly a, a possibility. And it's one that I think we, we got to keep in mind because there's always this idea that the alien technology we you know we shot down a ufo and then we reverse engineered it right. where you know uh, again two things can be true like there can be aliens traveling here with their own crafts that operate in a different way and we could have our own weird bee powered ufos they probably suck compared to the ones traveling from space but again both of those things can be true right um and it's it's one you definitely have to keep in mind, I think, when you're you're researching these, you know, issues and these phenomena, um, you know, UFO sightings have increased 
and B populations have decreased. Now, is that a spurious correlation? Probably. That's, that's one of the questions I was going to ask, and you kind of covered that, right? But the last thing that I, I want to ask before we switch topics is, uh, is any have you uncovered if anybody took what Grabenikov has done and maybe is doing research now? Do you know if anybody's looking into that now, or is it dead, essentially? Um, there's been a couple like YouTube videos that pop up here and there of people supposedly testing out some of his, um, you know, tech or whatever. Right. Um, but nothing that is like, there's no, I, I can't really point to a single place and be like, that's the place to follow this research. Um, there's some art. I've written a couple in depth things of all the research I've done into it on my Patreon. Um, but other than that, there's not really too much out there on this theory, which in a way gives it a little, some kind of credibility in a sense where, you know, it's not really talked about. There's this, um, I think it's interesting that in the scientific community, there was this like mystery about bees and then supposedly it's explained, but there's still also in recent times, there's these other studies that say, well, how does it do it with the pollen? It doesn't make sense with the pollen. Right. Sure, whirlwind, but now it has pollen in its hands. So how is it doing that and not using as much energy, not breathing as hard? Um, so yeah, it's, it's weird stuff. Um, there's, there's something up about insects. <laughs> they, they certainly fly. And there's... Um, Actually, this is a great loophole back to my what we were discussing earlier. Remember the guy who thinks um, the UFOs or the ghost activity is um, UFOs, like invisible UFO drones. Um, the ghost code is what he calls it. Quantum paranormal slash the ghost code. Yeah, That's I don't know this who, guy's theory. I don't know who that is. Um, Patrick Jackson, he's from the UK. It's one of these newer theories. We were talking about it way like an hour ago. Rewind an hour, listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he's the guy that thinks that invisible UFO probes are what causes haunted phenomena. And part of the reasoning of this is he's got all these videos of ghost orbs moving around. And then he has videos of UFOs moving around. And they move very similarly like it's one of the things i think he's spot on about the problem is the thing he's wrong about is those videos aren't showing ghost orbs moving around they're showing insects moving around insects reflecting light but his point's still the same these ufos they're moving these impossible physics we're describing and seeing they're impossible with our known aircraft, but they're not impossible on this planet. Insects fly like those. UFOs. Exactly. Right, 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 right. And that's fucking wild. Like that was kind of a weird, <laughs> he accidentally stumbled onto something right. there where like, fuck, you're right. Those UFOs are moving just like those bugs. They're not ghost orbs, <laughs> but it, it's pretty weird. <laughs> All right. The last thing that we're going to hit up, because I know you have to go soon. Um, in April, you had a cryptid, somewhat of a cryptid sighting. And, and I found out about this through the magazine you write for called Paranormality Magazine, mm. which uh, it's funny because I, I created a shirt called My Paranormality that I sell on Etsy. But when I saw the title, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit, I, I created a shirt like that. But um, 
can you get into that? Um, the, the cryptid that you saw, this orange thing? I mean, I don't want to give it away, but I'd rather you tell the story about it. Um, the, oh, is this the Mayaka issue? Yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah, I've, actually, this is great. Even full circle in the very beginning of the episode. So right. we were talking about the Mayaka monster and some of the strange things seen out there. Um, yeah, this was a weird sighting um, that I had before I even knew about the Mayaka monster mythology. Um, and so Mayaka State, uh, Mayaka River State Park um, is inland there of Sarasota. And um, it's really big, massive swamp, ton of gators. Um, it's a really cool park. They've got a canopy walk, um, excellent state park. And for a friend's birthday, <clears throat> we were canoeing out on Big Mayaka Lake. With you know, gators and everything? Gator, past the gators and shit. Yeah, no, oh, it, was, shit. it wasn't our best move. We <laughs> got on the water and everyone was instantly nervous. We were like, this canoe is very small and there are gators everywhere. Um, but we're, we're canoeing and we're smoking some doobies and we're hanging out. <laughs> and we're going towards the, the far side of the lake away from where all the park um stuff is no trails or anything on on this half of the park and <clears throat> we're canoeing out there and i see what i swear is a bench and i'm like oh man that there's a bench right there on the water no trails out there so it must be only for people like canoeing and stuff so we, we got a canoe there and you know go sit at that bench and and have a smoke um and you know it, it's it has this orange color and these like black slats it looks like a bench and it's pretty far off, but we're, we're canoeing towards it. And suddenly it stands up, and runs off into the tree line. And I, my first reaction was like, holy fuck, that's a tiger. <laughs> like that was a tiger. Um, you know, it, it had, again, the black stripes. Um, it could have been a Florida panther, but it was so big. You know, Florida panthers, they get pretty big. So they're not quite that orange and they, they don't have they, stripes. They don't have stripes. And this guy was fucking big. And yeah, no, it was, it was super bizarre. And there were actually um, other tiger sightings in Mayaka city. Um, and on your drive out to um, Mayaka, if you're going through um, Sarasota Springs, there's actually a big cat habitat where they have, you know, one of these tiger king places where they've got you know leopards and tigers and lions and shit and there's a big park next to it you can go and listen to them roar at sunset um it's kind of cool um but you know it's a, a place where there is definitely a possibility of escaped you know pets oh. um it's florida <laughs> you know it, it happens people get weird and they get crazy ass animals and shit. And so there, there's definitely that possibility. There was another sighting in Mayaka City where three people saw three tigers um, walking together, like in a group, which actually kind of leans away from it actually being tigers because tigers are typically solitary territorial animals. Um, but again, people who know their paranormal phenomenon know that the phenomenon of phantom cats is something that pops up all over um, in places that are, you know, considered window areas or areas of, of high strangeness. 
Um, and so, yeah, the same patch of woods where several people have interactions with the supposed Mayaka monster, you know, had footprints and things thrown at them um, is where we saw this fucking tiger. And <laughs> again, it's what does that mean? I don't know. Who, who but knows? It's, it's something. <laughs> it's certainly something. <laughs> um, have you done any research into the Mayaka monster? Yeah, I I, um, I think it's a, a really interesting. Again, the skunk ape experiments. Check out that documentary. They do a really good um, job of of covering it. I think it's coming out in multiple parts. Um, but it is, yeah, it's it's a certainly bizarre creature. It, again, the Bigfoot stuff is really intriguing, um, and a, a lot of paranormal people don't feel that way. But he he's one of the top three. You got your ghosts, you got your UFOs, and then it's it's Bigfoot, and it's it's one that I think when you really seriously look at it, it forces you to recognize that you know there's not a simple explanation to these things. It's not right. simply another animal or species from a different planet or a different place. There's something going on and it has to do with our reality, our physics, our space and our time. Um, most interactions with Sasquatch are more like poltergeist interactions than they are anything else. There's a lot of rock throwing, a lot of impressions, um, even the whole footprint thing. A lot of people don't know this, but one of the um, popular things to do in seances in the 1800s, they would tie the medium's hands down and shit, and they'd get these big like fish tanks full of like plaster gels, and they'd ask the spirits to make um, impressions. And then they would even, in some of the more scientific ones, they'd compare everyone's fingerprints to the fingerprints and the impressions, and they found mm -hmm. that they weren't, you know, anyone in the room. Um, and so the footprint, again, has these dermal ridges that are like the fingerprints of the feet. It shows that it's a unique animal. It's not something we understand and we know plastered into the ground. So th this phenomenon appears and it manifests in similar ways, but it also does, it meets our expectations at a certain point. When those those figures leaving those handprints, those were human handprints. And when people would see apparitions in those seances, they were human apparitions. When you're looking for a Bigfoot, you're finding those prints, you might get a glimpse of a big, hairy animal. Um, and for whatever reason, there there is a um, almost a mask that that the phenomenon throws on for the viewer. Um, I think that might explain a lot of the, you know, modern skinwalker sightings, right? You have a lot of people out there where for most of history, you'd see something like this and you'd see it as a ghost, a demon or an angel, right? Right. Because that's how you were educated. You go to church and that's the framework. Um, in modern society, we have a lot more people who believe in the possibility of UFOs. We're seeing a lot more UFOs. But then we have people who don't believe in bigfoot they don't believe in ufos they don't believe in ghosts you have these you know secular thinkers and every once in a while they're out in the woods and they experience the paranormal and it comes off as these weird distorted images of bovines and deers bears these werewolf that comes off as these really bizarre looking animal-like creatures and that I think might be the brain's attempt to be, okay, we're in the woods. 
it has to be an animal. So it's some kind of animal, but it, that, that filter doesn't work because it's clearly dangerous. We don't know what it is. So we've got to make it look evil and crazy and scary. So it's, it's some kind of evil, crazy, scary animal because we're in the woods <laughs> <laughs> and that's, it appears this way. Um, that's the, the brain throwing this, this psychedelic filter on top. Um, Perhaps. Kind of like like pareidolia kind of almost in a way, right? Yeah, right. We're, we're going to see these patterns, but we're not only going to see these patterns. Our mind makes these patterns physical so we can experience reality, right? These particles aren't seen, aren't still. They don't exist unless they're observed. All atoms are constantly moving, um, but not for us because we perceive it these ways. We, we solidify our reality. And what the paranormal seems to be is these artifacts, these glitches in reality that the filter can't be so easily applied to. Right. Um, and that's why we, we get this variety of high strangeness. So the, the pictures of the Mayaka Abe, do you know the story of the, of the behind those those pictures? Yeah, I believe um, I believe it was an older woman who took those photos um, on her property. Um, again, they were hearing some grunting and some weird noises, and took a couple. It's two flash photos out into the the swamp, out in Mayaka, and yeah, it shows this really creepy looking guy. It it it's clearly a real animal. It's got. Um, eye shadow flare like when you take a picture of a dog and it looks demonic <laughs> so it makes the photo look pretty creepy um but it's um definitely it definitely looks like a large hairy ape um and again the the explanation has been orangutan they say you can kind of see its face flaps a little bit and that it's it must be an escaped orangutan Escaped orangutans, escaped tigers. Mayaka <laughs> is a, a fucking safari. <laughs> right. Or something paranormal is going on, which either way, <laughs> it's definitely a, a cool place. Yeah, D Dave Sadoti, the guy that I did the interview with, um, he sent a team out there to do, you know, to do research on this, on this Mayaka 8. Because he's had multiple like experiences with skunk ape. That's his thing. He, he's such, he yeah. searches for skunk ape. And um, I don't know. He doesn't believe that, that, that picture is legit. He thinks that it, that it's not yeah. real because the research, according to him, and I mean, everybody has their own opinion. I'm not going to knock him or what, or whatever. Cause I don't mm -hmm. know what it is, but it, it, it doesn't sustain, I guess the area Mayaka where that, where that picture was taken. There's not enough, I guess he said land, for it to be able to hide i don't know something along those lines but yeah so again it looks real that's all i'm saying yeah well I, again i think the the um uh, analysis is certainly something it doesn't quite look like a a person in a suit like some of the other bigfoot photos um yeah again i think there's a pretty good possibility it's just a, an orangutan or some other kind of ape that's escaped out there growing right. up in that area that seems quite plausible. Same with the tiger <laughs> like that. I would, if I was gambling on it, putting money in Vegas, I'm definitely betting escaped pet <laughs> before I'm betting paranormal phantom monster. Um, but the fact that he's looking at that, that always pops up. That's the argument against Bigfoot in almost every region of the world. Um, I think except for the Siberia taiga. Um, 
is that there's not enough space to sustain a, a population of physical animals. Yes. But if you've interacted and, and done this, uh, you know, on the ground research and interviewed these people, these things aren't all physical. It's not something, it's not just an animal hiding. Right, it's, right. it's a phenomenon that pops up. It's kind of like, I don't know if you ever played RuneScape, but it's kind of like a random event in RuneScape or something just, uh, you, you know, you're, pl- you're playing your game, you're, you're, you know, leveling up your farming or whatever the fuck. And the evil chicken pops up and it attacks <laughs> to make sure you're not a bot. And so you have to run away. I got it's kind of, again, it's these weird artifacts, these things that pop up and occur. And it's, it's some kind of system or program running on top of our reality. And it, it appears to run in various places around the globe. The Bigfoot one seems to run in any decent sized patch of of forest or swamp it doesn't have to be the biologically acceptable size of forest it just has to be big enough to have stories and that's one of the things i think that comes back to the root of all of these you know uh, window areas these phenomenon um, in my new book fort george island where this that sphere was discovered all of these locations have ancient stories of ghosts or spirits or tragedy curses something like that before and the phenomenon seems to continue over time and we know it's a psychedelic phenomenon and it seems to be that stories those stories those basis for that the start of the psychedelic phenomenon i mean every time we hear a story if you listen to me today and pictured any of the shit i was talking about in your head if you thought about a ufo then you had a slightly psychedelic experience. We do it all the time, so we don't really recognize it like that. But it is. We're generating images inside our heads. And again, Imagination. It, yeah, it seems that subtle shift in consciousness, whether it's psychedelics or whether it's a good fucking story, <laughs> might be all it takes to get you to a, a location where these things can manifest. They can actually appear. Awesome, dude. Awesome shit, bro. Um, so lastly, what's next for Chaz of the Dead? What are you working on now? What's coming up in the future? Um, yeah, so I've got a book coming out. I was just plugging a place between time and space. Um, it's a true story of UFOs, ghosts in Florida's strangest home. Um, speaking of that home, I'm going to send you a link, check out the link in the bio of this episode to save that home. Um, I'm doing a petition to get the Betts house recognized as a historic landmark. It's this crazy castle looking building. Um, it's got all kinds of UFO ghost legends, but it was also built by a famous architect and it's, um, nearly a hundred years old and it is decaying out in the Florida swamp. It's already on government land. Where is it at? This is in Jacksonville, okay. um, uh, Fort George Island. It's already on government land. The government owns it, and um, we're going to yell at them till they save it. Um, at it Because they already got uh, Kingsley Plantation, Rebalt Club. It's a historic area, and they've got this, this other historic property that, that needs to be saved. So um, future generations of, of not just paranormal investigators, but history buffs can um enjoy one of the few castles in america 
So please um, go sign that petition. Um, and you can check out all of my stuff at chazofthedead.com. Um, you can follow me on all the social medias at Chaz of the Dead. And yeah, check out both of the books, uh, Paranormal Expedition, Hunt for the Friendship, and A Place Between Time and Space, coming out this August. Um, so yeah, uh, and please, 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 please sign the petition. And if you're a listener in the Jacksonville area, call your uh, local congressman, your local government official, your postal worker, and tell them to uh, <laughs> to save the bets house. Save the bets house, man. <laughs> well, Chas, thank you so much. I again appreciate your time, um, and I know that you're blowing up. So uh, I, I wish you nothing but success. And uh, just send me links to wherever you want people to go. Keep me updated on the book so I can post that as well. And uh, thanks, man. Thanks for everything, brother. Hell yeah. Anytime. All right, my man. I'll see you. Peace out. All right. Peace.